Hello, and welcome to Pom Pom Magazine's first podcast, or POMcast, as we like to call it. My name is Lydia, and if you have ever read Pom Pom, you might recognise me as one of Pom Pom's founders and editors. I have with me the lovely, lifelong friend of Pom Pom, Sophie Scott. Hello. Who is POMcast's co-founder and general all-round fun gal. Today we'll be talking to Juju Vale, designer, photographer, and Canadian extraordinaire, as well as discussing projects we're working on followed by the breathtaking anecdotes, songs, meditations on colours, and many more exciting things for your ears and brains. We hope you enjoy our ramblings. Any comments or communication can be sent to podcast at pompommag.com. So knitting. Tell and tell. Won't you tell me about your knits currently? I will tell and tell. Uh, okay, so I am making the lovely quadrillion jumper, which is from Pom Pom issue six from lovely. last autumn, and it has many, many cables. Quadrillion cables? Yes, exactly. It has a quadrillion cables on the front, which are very exciting to knit. I have washi tape involved to keep track of where I am in the chart. Always good. I have Moomin washi tape. Even better. I know, it's great. Uh, I keep having to explain to my housemates the purpose of the movement tape. I don't think any of them have understood yet. They understood, understand the intrinsic beauty of it, I'm sure. Oh, yes, yes. They enjoy the tape, uh, but they don't see its purpose. Mm. Which is a shame, because it's really quite a serious piece of kit. Of course. Yeah. You, know? any... you don't laugh at drills! <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what I'm making, and I'm making it in the Uncommon Threads uh, Light BFL. In the colour uh, Medigras, which is beautiful. It's a sort of yellowy, greeny, murky colour. You love this colour. I've yet to learn to love this colour, but it's one of your faves. You'll learn. <laughs> so, I'm knitting. I'm also knitting a pom-pom design. It's um, the Firewood Shawl by a designer called... Well, her name's Caitlin, I know that much, but her surname, I want to pronounce it f- f- French... Yes, there is more than one F at the beginning. But how would you pronounce that? French. Okay. But Caitlin, um, if you're listening to this podcast, we would appreciate some advice, some pronunciation advice. Um, so, I, so I'm not a fool. A f-f-f-fool. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't, be, wouldn't want to be a f-f-f-fool. So, um, yeah, making the forward shawl by Caitlin French. French. Um, yeah, and using Malabrigo worsted, which is very soft and lovely because it's sort of a single ply, not twisted too tightly, so it's very, um, very floaty soft. light. Floaty light, very, but like it's a worsted, so it's not. I like a bit of density the shawl, mm-hmm. so it's kind of going to be very warm. And the color I'm using is called cadmium, which is a beautiful like saffrony yellow. It's very similar to the uh, picture in the actual design. And um, I'm not quite sure where it's going to go because I'm kind of halfway through, and then you get. There's a striping bit at the end, sort of like a burnt, reddy orange, and then there's a sort of nice classic neutrally grey brown. I'm not sure, I'm not sure about those colours, so I want to use something different, but um, I don't know what yet. So we'll see. Do you have anything, any sort of potential colour potentials? I was thinking something like a turquoisey blue with the nice. really intense yellow, but we'll see what happens. Well, well yes, we will. Watch the space. Yeah. And listen to it. Listen to the space. Uh, what else are you knitting? Well, I'm also making another jumper, in fact, for my lovely little brother, who is not little at all. He is very tall and has a beard now. Um, I'm making him a jumper, which is a Brooklyn tweed pattern called Fort, which is from his sort of collection of men's knits, which Mm. is wonderful. Um, I'm making it in Brooklyn tweed shelter. 
in the colour wool socks, which Sam chose himself. And it's great. It's uh, The stitch pattern's a lot more straightforward than quadrillion. So um, it's better for TV knitting or knitting whilst chatting to people or really all the knitting situations when you can't just sit and stare at your chart and move little bits of Moomin around. <laughs> that sounds creepy. <laughs> what are you doing in your spare time? We're all right with that. I just move, move Moomins around. <laughs> Um, another thing I'm knitting, which I'm really enjoying, I was knitting on the bus on the way to here where I'm recording this podcast. It's from Nitty, the website Nitty.com, uh, winter 2008, and it's a heart. But it's not a heart in your classic uh, Valentine's sense. It's so it's not like that heart on the IKEA adverts that's just a heart shape with arms? No, 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 my friend. Oh. It's like a heart as in Game of Thrones uh, eating heart scene. I've forgotten the character's name. Galicia! Exactly. It's that kind of heart. You know when uh, Felix did, Felix is my partner, when he did um, the which Game of Thrones character are you, he got Khal Drogo. It's a good thing to be. <laughs> uh, Felix is very unlike Khal Drogo, just for the record. Continue, so. <laughs> so I'm doing that, which is, it's um, prompted different reactions. Some people think it's very interesting and cool to make an anatomically correct heart. Uh, Maybe not in the medical sense, but there's definitely there's valve action going on that I've like had to put stitches on hold for. I'm really enjoying it. I think I might give it to my uh, my beau for Valentine's Day. But yeah, I think he'd appreciate it. But at the same time, as a lot of people have been saying to me, wow, it's interesting, but what are you going to do with it? And I don't know. Well, I mean, as a Valentine's gift, that seems like a very good plan to me. Um, and in fact, my friend Jacob gave his girlfriend Polly an actual beef heart for Valentine's Day last year. Uh, I think they ate it. Wow. Yeah. Original. <laughs> yes, original. They're quite, I suppose, uh, yes, not not the most romantic couple, let's put it that way. What's more romantic than hearts, though? So. Yes, than bloody hearts in paper bags. So the best part of this, um, this heart that I'm knitting is a sort of colour in-joke. The wool that I'm using, I got some leftover Vulmais, and the colour name... It's really dark red. It's called Rhesus Negative. Ah, that's beautiful. I know. Why wouldn't you knit a heart out of this? Well, exactly. You'd be you'd be crazy not to. Exactly. Exactly. You'd be a f f f fool. A f f fool. We don't want to be that. No. So the last project that I am knitting at the moment, um, I'm making the Afterthought heel socks, toe up Afterthought heel socks by Juju Vale, um, who was our wonderful interviewee of the day. We love her. We do love her. Yes, we love you, Juju. Um, which pretty much exactly what they say on the tin. You know, you start the toes, you make a tube, and then you turn that tube into an L shape. You've forgotten the heel. But I just remembered it. Oh, <laughs> it's an afterthought heel. <laughs> hey, why does this sock look so... Oh, it doesn't have a heel oh. yet. Right. I really love afterthought heels. I think they're my favourite. They're fun. I've yet to try them. They're super fun. You must try them and report back on your experiences. But you see, because sock heels are an interesting... I mean, there are two, there are many kinds. Have you just done the flap kind? Flappy. Flappy heel. Short yeah. rows. I think, yeah, turn, classic turning a heel. From, like, top-down land. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what mm. I'm used to. I mostly make toe-up socks, and I used to always just make them with the the, the increasing and then the short rows, um, which I found to fit very well. But I like the aesthetic value of the afterthought heel because you can have sort of block of colour in the heel area which is pleasingly symmetrical you mm, know yeah it's like a proper little kind of square on the heel area 
And because I quite like having toes and heels in a different colour from the rest of the sock, the afterthought heel um, really is the best means to this end that I have found so far. Excellent. So now it's time for us to discuss the colour of the cast, which um, for this first pomcast we have decided on the colour red. Um, and we have given us had given ourselves homework to find exciting facts on the colour red. I personally love the colour red. Are you a fan? Yes. Um, top top five? Is it in your top five? No, 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 it wouldn't be, which is why my hesitation was apparent with that question. Mm. It's definitely in my top five. Well, there we go. So I mean, I used to make my hair red through the use of strong chemical dyes. <laughs> anyway, so, fun fact one is that in Russian, the word for red comes from the same old Slavic root as the word for beautiful. Um, the, sa- the word meaning beautiful and excellent. Um, which means that the red square in Moscow used to, is actually was actually just called beautiful square. How nice is that? So it was never red square, it was beautiful square. But they sound similar, so people got confused after the revolution. Oh, what, so it, was, it wasn't actually named it, but it... it no, it was just called beautiful square, and then, you know, like before the Russian revolution, there was beautiful square... And then somehow the translation, or at some point, the translation got corrupted, and we think of it as Red Square. And perhaps wow. the Russians do too, but the words were very similar is the point, I suppose. But that's quite interesting in general, that in Russian, the two words, the, the words red and beautiful would be so close. Is that communism? <laughs> no, I think it's probably before communism right, that was okay. the case. And it's just the case, I just, because I like red so much, I like to think that... Um, Russians like red a lot too, and that their language reflects this. That's what I think. <laughs> They're big red fans. So cochineal is a dye that's used in um, is used in industry these days. Not as much. Uh, no, but it's it's used as a natural dye. Isn't natural it? dye, right? So uh, the cochineal bug, little insect. So eighty thousand to a hundred thousand insects make one kilogram of dye. That's a lot of insects. That's a lot. Think about that. Seems quite. I mean, because a lot of natural dyes use plants. Um, I don't feel too bad about turning plants into dyes. I'll be honest. I feel like um, that's what they were put here for. But I feel a bit sad about that amount of in- insects. I think. How do they know? Do they count them? But yeah, a lot of insects to make things red for us. Yeah. Think about it. It's a good thing we don't have to use lots of insects to make things red anymore. True. Uh, another fun fact. Factoid is that, um, so I have to preface this by saying that not all languages, uh, I studied linguistics, sorry, um, not all languages have colour words in the way that English does. Um, And often they'll have either more or less colour words. Um, Normally languages will have like black and white or sort of light and dark. Um, But then if they have a third colour word and they only have three colour words, that third word will pretty much always be red. Now... I find this interesting because I thought, as a colour word, predominantly stuff around us would be green. Mm. Wouldn't that be the first word? So, Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not... I don't think they really know why. I think it's something to do with the fact that red really does stand out to the human eye. Mm. It sort of jumps out at you. So you're saying about humans sort of having red as the language. Primates can uh, distinguish the four range of colours uh, visible of the spectrum to humans. But many kinds of mammals, such as dogs and cattle, have dichromacy, which means they can see blues and yellows, but they cannot distinguish red and green. Uh, both are seen as grey. People might know this, that dogs see grey. But bulls, for instance, um, classically, you know, bulls were a red flag. They cannot actually see the colour red. 
Um, but they're just agitated by its movement. That's the key point of a bull charging. Oh. Also, it could be any colour. Yeah. Bit of tie-dye. But I suppose hippies wouldn't really... Um, yeah, they might not like endorse that. Endorse that. No. Bit of paisley. Bit of paisley. Yeah. Bit tartan. Tartan. Mm. Nice. Um, all right. So red. Full of intrigue. That's red. That's red. Today we are joined by all-round creative extraordinaire Juju Vale. Juju describes herself as someone with her fingers in many pies. But you may know her best for her unique and colourful patterns. Plus, she is Pom Pom's resident photographer. Today, Juju joins us for what she does best, catch up with gossip and discuss knitting. Hi, Juju. Hi. Hi, Juju. Hi, Lydia. So, Juju, in addition to being a woman with her fingers in many pies, both mm, metaphorical pie. and uh, physical, <laughs> we can say that, physical pie. We can. Um, Let's get physical. Like that. Pie is my favourite food. Yes, Juju loves pies. And she, for me, pie is fruit pie. There's meat pie is yes, abomination. As a North American, she... Um, I like considers pie. fruit pie to be the real the pie, archetypal pie. Yeah, but we had that mushroom and ale pie. No, I like I like what issue. you call meat pies. Yes, I'm just upset by them because somebody says, "Oh, I'll bring a pie for lunch," and I'm right. like excited, and then it's a meat pie. Right, so it's they're making, second class. It's totally second class. I yeah. see. Yeah. Okay, well, um, <laughs> now that we've clarified which pies Juju has her fingers in, we can move on to discuss um, Juju's teaching and recently Juju has taught a class called Outside the Stitch Dictionary which I thought sounded very interesting. The whole Outside the Stitch Dictionary class came out of the idea that I have ideas and sometimes I haven't got the time to do anything about them. For instance if I'm currently working on a pattern for okay something happened this morning so I'm working on the idea of a ribbing cuff uh, for, for a mitten but in working on this idea, I realized, oh, if I did that to it, it would make a really good hat. But I don't have time to explore that right now. So you have to make a, a note of that somewhere, right? Because there will maybe in the future be time to do that. Um, and so I started to think about becoming more methodical in my note taking a few years ago. And I find it very interesting to... N- I guess with the kind of designing I want to do is not where you just take um, a set of measure- measurements that fit that will make a, a raglan sweater and take a stitch out of a stitch, stitch dictionary and plug it into those set of measurements. That, 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 you know, I think anybody can, or a lot of people can do that now, and I think you need something beyond that to make your designs interesting. And I've always been probably primarily interested in the fabric rather than, well... I'm also interested in the garment shape, but I'm very, very interested in the fabric. So I want it to be able to have a way of managing my ideas for different ways of making, different ideas for making fabric different. That's very poorly put. (laughs) (laughs) Designing fabric, what can you do? Pushing and pushing and pushing the ideas and recording them so that I have a really good, bank of ideas to draw on when I have to design a garment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think people who you're sort of doing with this as an aim for people to change existing patterns or to design their own or both? Design, do you mean, sorry, stitch pattern or? 
Yeah, I mean, pat- you, uh, garment pattern. You were saying you wanted an input in. You 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 can find design and input your stitch pattern, but if you have knowledge on how to change things, will you change an original design, or are you thinking start from scratch? No, I I I don't think I don't believe in starting from scratch <laughs> because I think everything has uh, is an evolution of something else. I mean, you know, even if you were starting so-called from scratch, you're still starting with the basics of a knitted stitch and a purled stitch. You know, there's still something that you're going back to. And so it's usually easier to go into a stitch dictionary and find a very simple set of five or six stitch repeating pattern that repeats over six rows that is in the general area of something that you might want to play with. And then my concept is that you take that basic pattern and you start to manipulate it in a number of different ways so that it becomes something completely different. So what advice do you have for people who want to start their own designs? I think probably beginning with a stitch that's in a stitch dictionary, knit it as it is, and then and then, and, and take notes all the way around. I always tag all my samples with little um, tags that hook onto the actual sample. Um, and, and I stick them in notebooks and I make notes and I keep knitting the same fabric, well, not the same fabric, keep knitting a piece of fabric, changing one aspect of it or maybe two aspects of it at a time and so that it keeps mutating and keeps mutating until I get something that I think is either totally different and interesting or is... I, I can immediately see a purpose for it that would be that would slot well into it and a design idea that was mulling away in the back of my head. <laughs> so if you think about pop spots, mm-hmm. if you have done, have you guys popped a spot? I haven't. I wish to. Yes, but it's a um, it's a very simple idea. The idea being that you don't want to. I I want it to create a two color design that had polka dots because I love polka dots, but I didn't want to have it be ferrile because a lot of um, or stranded knitting because a lot of um, people don't like to do stranded knitting and because stranded knitting is going to have a lot of strands on the wrong side and so it's going to look a particular way. So, um, And I knew I wanted a shawl that had lots of polka dots on it. So I began with playing with some other stitches and it mutated eventually into that. Yes, for those who don't know, Pop Spots is one of Judy's designs. So, so I design a lot of things that have two or three or more than three colours, and I really like the way that people play with those different colours so that they don't do exactly the same three colours that I chose. But within that, I suppose people love the colour, and it's nice that you have the option to play within that, and you're very confident within using colour. How, what advice would you give people if they want to explore more colour options? Because I think some people kind of get daunted. Yeah. There's so many beautiful colours that they could use. Yeah. Um, within finding schemes do you have like a set way of well a lot of different ideas and I'm working on a little booklet that's going to include a lot of that sort of information in it Um, two of the things that I'm that I'm sort of playing with right now are um, apps there's some great apps for playing with color Mm because everybody's using their little mobile phones and taking lots of pictures and things and I'm really enjoying this little app called Kaleidos it's not called Kaleidoscope Kaleidomatic And so you take a picture with it or you take a picture from your library and then you put it through the filter, which is a kaleidoscope. So it puts it into a repeat pattern that looks very much like maybe the top of a Farrell tan hat. But in doing that, so you're also playing with the motif, but also you're abstracting the colors as well. So even if you took, for instance, a picture of a flat piece of fabric that you really liked the colors of, 
if you crunch the piece of fabric a little bit, you'll you'll also get lights, light and shade within that photograph as well. So it will throw all that into the mix. Um, so that's you know one way of playing with the, with the ideas for color. Have you did you ever study color theory, or do you feel it just kind of organically grew as through your kind of enthusiasm? Yeah, I've studied color theory a lot. Um, but I also think you, you learn about color by practicing with color, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I have a degree in initially a degree in, uh, fashion design and knit with a knitwear specialism and then a a postgraduate degree in textile design. And I went to a special arts high school and every step of the way there was color theory. Uh, um, and I still explore color theory just in its own right. Um, there's some great. Um, books and so on about that kind of thing and I paint so you're all I also explain it's different though very different I think playing with color in painting than it is in in knitting but uh, they you know the constant um, contact with color and playing with color Mm -hmm. develops your sense of color and theory okay so Juju yeah we're now going to ask you a very important very serious yeah difficult question okay um, if you were to end up on a desert island and you were only allowed one yarn in all the colours, though, uh, what do you think, Sophie? Are we allowing colours? It's more colors. about the fibre, isn't it? I think we're allowing all the colours. Yeah. So yeah. the colours you are, you can you can dye the yarn, for yeah. example, with your yeah. natural plants, you yeah. will grow. Yeah. But uh, you will only be allowed this one fibre base. Yes. To knit with, which would you have? Well, I think it would be. The base that Chilister use for their luxury, what do they call it? Luxury DK, mm-hmm. luxury four ply. Yeah. It is a mixture of a lamb's wool, a kind of rustic lamb's wool, mm-hmm. with Angora and yak? No, camel. 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 There's a little bit of cashmere in there, I'm pretty a sure. A little bit of cashmere, yeah. Um, but what I really like is the combination of Angora and a kind of rusticy wool if if i if, i don't know of a yarn that is a blend of shetland and angora but that's actually what i really want interesting that so, would be my idea and if, in about a four ply mm-hmm. would it be the so what's the qualities that these yarns provide that make it your favorite uh well i like a bit of a crunch i don't i'm not a huge overwhelming fan of merino i find merino too soft i don't like the way it pills it just feels a bit bland to me I prefer a yarn like a. Sh- I love a good Shetland yarn. Love Shetland yarn because it's got just it's crunchy, but I find I do find it comfortable to wear next to my skin. But I like just a little bit of halo. So the Angora and the Camel provide that little bit of halo. So it's I love that that meeting between the crunchy Shetland or the crunchy lamb's wool and the and soft and, and haloing Angora. My fingers are jiggling together happily. <laughs> Juju is knitting. Yeah, okay. with the mental, uh, mental knitting. Mental knitting. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I could happily go on an island and carve my own needles on this desert island, and I'll be, I'll be okay. Well, you'll probably have to. Will I? Yeah. Why because not? I would actually like circulars. That's going to be harder. Uh, well, you could sort of fashion a kind of vine. Yeah. From vine. Vines. It's going to not be so great, isn't it? It might. Well, if it dries out too much, it might just snap. Yeah. You're going to have to spin. It might it. be something like. Uh, early violin strings were made from cat gut. Oh, there we go. So it's monkey gut, because monkey. there's monkeys on this island. There We've is. already established this, haven't we? What was it, what would your desert island yarn be? I'd be I'd be leaning towards Shillister actually. Yeah, it's really, as well. Yeah, well, it's one of my 
big, big favourites. Oh, isn't that interesting? Um, but for the sake of interest, <laughs> what else do I knit with? Um, well, I really love um, a good BFL, yeah, Blue too. Face Leicester. That would be my next choice. Yeah. So if if Juju had run off with all the Shillister supplies, I mean, yeah, I'd to my angry. island. Yeah. I'll be honest. I'd yeah. be pretty upset. Yeah. But I would pick myself up and start again. And I would start again. I mean, ideally, maybe. What about Blue Face Leicester with Angora? Too shiny. Be, no, I'd love it. I think that would be I nice. I really want to have I'll it. I'll have that. Sophie. So can we set up trading between our islands, do you think? <sighs> I mean, Kirsty Young might have to be yeah. a blind eye. I'm sure she would. She's a nice lady. <laughs> what about you, Sophie? Well, I'm just a damn copycat because I was going to go, well, before Lydia said anything, I'd like to clear up that I was going to say Blue Face Leicester. In what way are you going for? Mm, DK. DK, right, yeah. That might be a bit hot on the island, but you know. It might be a cold island. Or a cold at night. Yes. <laughs> my, my island's temperate. Can you imagine us? We're all like walking around our, our islands naked, but we have like little chalets. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be the perfect time to figure out exactly how to knit, you know, to make swimwear efficiently. Oh, I had a, a, a knitted um, wool bathing suit when I was a kid. Of course you did. Yeah. I was, didn't. It was not a good idea. I missed out. It, it really did fill up with, I mean, it filled up with water. I remember that sense of my bum is full of water. It wasn't good. <laughs> it was not a good idea. I don't even know why I was wearing it because they had other, bath- you know, other bathing suits definitely existed. But I was wearing a knitted pink. It was like flesh pink. Yeah, it's a good look. That sounds lovely. Yeah, I could show you. Um, if anyone has any successful experiences yeah. with knitted swimwear, of any, I mean, or crocheted swimwear. Yeah, all. I mean, yeah. you know, we that's an area I'm scared of. There's a lot of seventies crochet bikinis. Yeah, I know. But you sort of imagine them being more like for sunbathing, you know, like yeah, not your... so much for actually swimming. Which is a I shame. used to have my godmother always said, you know, that her her bathing suits were own. Like I used to say, why aren't you going swimming? And she'd say, well, because my bathing suit is only dry cleanable. <laughs> sort of defeats the purpose of being yeah. near she water. She lied. She lied. And as we know, dry cleaning is a lie. That's right. She, she lied, lied and dry cleaning lied. lied. Exactly. I mean, I suppose if you're in your back garden sunning yourself with a sort of foil reflector, as I as we did, as, as people do, um, myself included, of course, every morning, first thing, nice yeah. orange tan. Um, <laughs> you could be wearing really any sort of bathing suit because if there's no water involved. Get in. Get your listeners to send in pictures of them in hand well, exactly. and crocheted we would, bathing suits. I'll contribute one of the one of me as a little girl. Start. We'll start yeah. with Juju. Yeah, and you can build up a we file. We can't wait. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite thing to knit? I like color knitting, so I love Fair Isle, and I love probably my favorite thing would be to knit Fair Isle mittens or a little tam. That's my favorite thing because it doesn't go on too long. A Fair Isle sweater, I'm bored after the first. What's that? 20 centi- 30, 40 centimeters? Mm-hmm. 30. Yeah. What's your favorite item to knit, Sophie? I like all the things. All the things, yeah. Uh, I like them. I think they're good. Do you like socks? I It took me a while to get into socks. I recently knit a pair of socks for my dad uh, over Christmas. Uh, I used Tin Can Knits Rye pattern. Lovely pattern. Really lovely pattern. And the fact that I did it in um, sort of a DK, sort of light Aran weight, Ooh, fast. So fast. Yeah. Which I think has turned me around to socks. I was like, I can make all the socks now. Mm. So yeah, I think that I don't, uh, I'm a slow knitter. You know, I've accepted this. I kind of knit lots of different things slowly. So there'll be a point where all my things kind of converge at a peak. And then I've finished three things in like a week. That's exciting week. But that mm. took about, you know, eight months uh, or longer. 
Do you knit, do you knit sweaters? I have, but they've always disappointed me. I think I knitted yeah. them when I was still in a early kind of Phase. I can knit, but I can knit this, and then I knitted it, and I was like, "What? What have I made?" Now yeah. I see them, but they're kind of disheartening to what to do with them. Mm. Or maybe I have a one of my first cardigans I finished, which was a bamboo cotton mix. Oh, bad, evil. <laughs> Up for debate, I suppose. Uh, which I chose in a fluorescent light pink. Well, a I'm great, quite a, I a can live with that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. But I never really finished the button band, and it's sort of it, I wore it many times because I was like, I knit this and I love it. But now it's sort of it's it's there. It sort of sits in my drawer. And I would have thought it's grown by now. Yes. Yeah. So I was thinking if I could undo it, frog it, and sort of make a cool bath mat. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just throw it on the bathroom floor. <laughs> I think that would be better. Just cut out the middle mat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, but true, right? <laughs> I'm nodding. <laughs> what what would you say, Lydia? I'm now interviewing you guys. I know. Uh, what would you Back say? <laughs> Sorry. But you might need this, even if not this episode. Yeah, you might need you it. Might. Becca, what would you say is your favourite knitted item? Oh, God. Um, I don't really know. I Thank do you. like making socks, um, but I often lose patience. Second sock syndrome. Second sock syndrome. As is widely known. And, and I have been, you know, told the virtues of knitting two at a time socks many times. I, I've never actually tried it, although I can see its um, function. But yeah, I sort of feel like <laughs> one of the things I like about socks is that you have a, a finished thing, which you feel really good about, and then you start the second thing. I mean, really, it's not, you know, I, I should probably try two at a time. So I'm not sure. My, I, I like to imagine knitting jumpers quite a lot. Yes. That's my ideal. Um, but I haven't actually made that many jumpers, so I'm gonna go with probably mitts, like mitts. fingerless gloves. Yeah, yeah, they're so fast, exciting, and you can make them in fun colours that you don't have to worry about them going with things. With your face, with your face, you know. You're... Actually, now I think about it, I make a lot of hats, and okay. I give hats for gifts are good. Yeah, and you look good in hats. Thanks. Yeah, that's yeah. always a good thing. Hat face. People who don't look, yeah, people who don't have a hat face, they don't like hats as much, mm. do they? Yeah. Yeah. So. Juju, what have you... First of all, what are you knitting at the moment? Give us your top... I mean, you're probably knitting many things. I am knitting many, many fingerless gloves at the moment. Yes, yes it's book. part of my thing. But I'm also working on a sweater by... Oh, I don't know how to say her name. Asa Tricosa? That sounds about Asa. A, you know, it's spelled A-S, and then there's an umlaut over the second A, um, called Stripes. Mm-hmm. And I've been slowly working on that for a long time. It just sort of sits there, and when I don't have anything to work on, that's what I work on. And what, what do you think draws you because as you know as a designer yourself and as somebody who could potentially make anything they wanted to what draws you to other people's designs uh probably a lot of it is that i want to try if they have i want to find out if they're how their how their pattern is written if it's written if i i want to make a judgment on it i want to see if i think that they've done a good job (laughs) (laughs) apparently from the point of view about you know there's got to be things that they'll thought of in terms of the way they've constructed the not necessarily even the garment to do with the uh, writing and the organization of the writing. And I just want to see what that's like in other people's patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes, of course, you don't want to figure everything out from scratch, do you? And if I'm making a sweater, if I were to design a sweater, it would have to be in a size other than the one that I would wear myself, because that would not be a model size. So if I want to knit a sweater for myself, you know, why not just try sometimes doing it from another person's pattern? And if they have techniques and so on as well that are new or different or interesting, that's excellent. Yeah. So who, um, which, which other designers who have are I knit around? From? Yeah. 
Hmm. Or do you admire? Oh, I admire. I like, I've always liked Christine Kapoor and Through the Loops. Uh, Needle Lady, who's a big um, stranded designer. Um, on Desert Island. Sorry? Stranded on Desert Island. She's not stranded on Desert Island. She's stranded somewhere up in the, you know, Scandinavian countries. But yeah. Uh, I, th- I think Stephen West does interesting things. Uh, so many people, aren't there? There are so many, it's true. And I do admire many people. So this is our first uh, edition of this podcast. Thank you for joining us. You listen to a lot of podcasts. I do. Um, what, what future advice can you give us for this podcast? What do you like to hear in a podcast? I'd like a podcast that's super gossipy. But it's difficult to be gossipy when... We're such a... The knitting world is so small and we all know each other. <laughs> but also, I mean, you know, I could gossip. I could tell you gossip about my friends, but it might no, no, not it has be, to be very knitting interesting. Gossip. I see, I see. Like, did you ha- hear what happened when somebody tried to knit two together with a size 9 millimeter needles? <gasps> yeah, what happened? It was really slack. Oh. Yeah. Gee. <laughs> is knitting two together one of your favorite decreases, would you say? <laughs> Is it up there? You know, is it like... Yeah, it's up there with SSK. Okay. Yeah, um, and knit three together. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. SSSK. Glad we're not going to be one of the boring <laughs> podcasts. And Central Decrease. Yeah, but, yeah, I was going to say, what about Central Double Decrease? Oh, yeah, I love Central Double Beautiful. Decrease. Yeah, like sexy. Ooh, baby. So have we said enough? I believe so. So pom-pom news for this week, Uh, our most recent spring 2014 issue came out just a week ago. Um, Many copies are winging their way all over the world as we speak. Hopefully they'll be with you soon. Um, And in addition to this, we will be at the Unravel Festival in Farnham uh, at Farnham Maltings, which is a lovely festival. Yes, I went last year for the first time. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, So it's held uh, February from the 21st to 23rd. Uh, over the weekend, and they have late, uh, late o- closing, late opening. Friday. Yeah, sort of evening session on evening Friday. Evening session on Friday, uh, which is twenty first. Uh, you can find uh, you need to buy tickets. Uh, you can go on www.farnhammalting.com and find all the information and buy tickets there. Who are you looking forward to at Unravel? I'm really looking forward to seeing Skein Queen again. Mm-hmm. Um, John Arbin, because they not only sell exciting yarns, but you can buy socks from them, ready-made things. Excellent gifts, of course. I'm also looking forward to seeing the lovely Koopnitz, who designs for Pom Pom every now and then. Um, and Sweet Georgia, who are going to have a stand this year, I think for the first time. Nice. Um, they, yeah, beautiful colours, exciting Canadian things there. Uh, sort of a Canadian theme, I suppose, this week. Nice. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Eden Cottage yarns. I saw yes. their stuff uh, at Alexandra Palace uh, last year. She dies up in Yorkshire. Really beautiful, subtle colours. They're all hand-dyed, really soft colours. Really so are they nice kind of British bases as well? Yeah, yeah. She, she uses um, Blueface Leicester. I've seen her, she, I've seen her Blueface Leicester and Silk, which is like a four-ply. I've seen that. And I really like, there's a nice double knitting she does as well. Mm. Very rustic. And also Tin Can Knits. Ooh. Because I love their patterns. I think they're really fun. I really like that they do 
so many sizes. They sort of do from year dot to like extra, extra, extra large. Yeah, it's true. So that because sometimes you get that thing where you look at maybe a child's pattern and you're like, I want to wear that. You can, my you friends. Can. So yeah, I'd like to see those guys. I did one of their sock patterns um, over Christmas for my dad, and it was one of those things where if I needed the sock pattern, I could do it for exactly the size I needed, and that was called Rye, and uh, yeah, it was one of the free patterns. That was good. Is that the one with like a sort of little bit of garter stitch? It is, yeah, but I omitted that because I wasn't, I wasn't too keen on that. You know what? Worked out just fine. Yeah, I think I would definitely put the garter stitch in. I'm a big garter stitch fan. Mm. My favourite part of Unravel last year was there was a little pen of sheep. There was maybe like three little sheep well, big sheep, out, you know, hanging out outside. That was my favourite bit. I mean, the yarn was beautiful, but it's nice, nice to be reminded of these things. <laughs> yes, well, when you live in London, you know, you don't get to see so many sheep. Because I grew up, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood in the Welsh countryside where sheep are really present, Tenderism. shall we say. Um, in fact, my favourite sheep-based memory is when one winter there was a big pile of bales of hay in the field next door to my mum's friend's house and the sheep had sort of you know one one lot of sheep had gone and started eating the hay so they were sort of around it in a kind of donut formation with the hay bale in the middle and then another set of sheep had just because they couldn't get to the hay it just sort of climbed on top of the first set and then another set had done that and you had a kind of sheep pyramid it was amazing <laughs> it was a truly spectacular sight and these were in the days before iphones or other phones with uh, camera capabilities so I have no uh, picture evidence of this incident. You just have to do a quick sketch. Yes, I'll do a quick sketch, um, which will be, of course, posted online for everyone's enjoyment. <laughs> uh, I don't think the sheep are unravel. I don't think there'll be enough sheep unravel to make a pyramid. No, maybe. No, it's not. It's not going to happen. No, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's something for them to work on. Um, yeah, next year. Next year, that would be great. Um, I mean, Unravel, it's such a, it's a lovely little fair. It's very, it feels kind of quite cosy and intimate, doesn't it? It's a really lovely venue. It's a very old building. Um, and it's just got a really good mix of interesting kind of indie dyers. And there's a really great Angora. There was an Angora. Um, Big Wigs Angora. That's it. And I, I didn't get to see them last year because uh, I was too busy working on the pom-pom stand. Um, potentially that will happen again this year. But I'm hoping I'll get, uh, get to have a nice look around um, it's very friendly. Yeah, there's a good mix. I think there's a lot of... Um, I quite like... There's a lot of people selling like interesting knitting like ephemera as well. I mm. like that. So I've got some interesting little uh, bits. Yeah. I didn't you... I seem to remember last year you were very excited about some Juno yarn in an eggshell colour. Yeah. I still haven't with that. It's beautiful. Well, you see, because I bought last year a very similarly, similar colour of yarn, but in a skein queen... Uh, it was a skein queen yarn, which I made a seaside topper, the Emily Foden pattern. Um, such a pretty colour. But yeah, that that took, you know, I mean, everyone knows that sometimes it takes years to figure out what yarn should be. Also, when you tipped me off on this when I saw you there uh, at Skein Queen, who we obviously love, um, she had mini skeins. Squeens. And she called them squeens. <laughs> which is fun because if you do like to do afterthought heels... Or stripes of any kind. You know, sometimes you just need little small amounts of yarn. So if you do come along to the Maltings, um, maybe we'll see you there. Yeah, come say hi. So for our top five for this first podcast, uh, we're going to talk about our top five teas. We've each compiled our own list. We're going to run through them. There's probably going to be a lot of hot debate, hot tea debate. So make yourself a cup of tea. Join in. And yeah, my first. Here we go. So Sophie, a 
think uh, if you start at number five. I think that's logical. So my top five is partly it's the taste of the tea, but also it's the experience of the tea. Uh, it was a rose tea that I once had at a birthday dinner, um, ordered this tea, and it came in a little teapot. And when you lifted up the lid inside the little diffuser, it was actual little rosebuds. Like, Aww. so beautiful. And That's lovely. The tea wasn't the strongest for flavours, but no. it was a more aromatic. It was a subtle flavour. I think that, that's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, got to put it in there because it's a classic. It's a rowbush tea. Right, yes. Red, red bush tea, some people uh-huh. say. Yeah. A nice caffeine free alternative. It's like a good comforter, you yeah. know. Yeah, and it's good with milk or without milk. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Number three, I'd go for chai. Chai. Spicy tea. Exactly. Would you have milk with your chai? Always. I'm Always. A, I'm a big milk fan. If the mm-hmm. tea can have milk in it, it's it's there. Okay. Um, number two. Mm. Actually, you know, this could be interchangeable with a chai. But I'd go for a Lapsang Sushong. Ah, smoky tea. Yeah, if no one's tried this before. Some people hate it. Yes. But it's sort of, yeah, it has this sort of smoky flavour to it. They sort of, I don't know, I should have researched how they make this. They smoke it? Let's find out. We'll get back to you on we'll that. We'll get back to you. <laughs> um, so number one. So number one, <gasps> I would have to go, it's a brand, I'd have to go with Yorkshire Gold, and it has oh. to be made in a teapot. So if you, are you from Yorkshire? I am. Do you think this has biased you? Maybe. <laughs> I'm allowed to. If I'm born in that county, then I'm allowed to be biased towards things from it. And it must be made in a teapot. It has to be made in a teapot. Yeah, to be a sort of top tea. Definitely. Right. And your top teas, Lydia. Okay, so I'm going to start uh, with number five. Um, Lapsang Suchong, which for mm-hmm. you is number two. I do like a good Lapsang. I like mine without milk. You without milk as well on that one? No, definitely. I'm, I'm putting that milk in. You have milk in it. Smoky any chance, milk. Any chance to have milk in okay, a tea. Okay, I don't know. Okay. Well, mine's definitely without milk, listeners. Okay, number four. I'm going to go for a jasmine green tea. I do like green tea very, very much. But I find the flavour um, without you know, a sort of added fun extra to be a bit grassy, sort of grass flavoured. Definitely, yeah. Which is fine. It's exactly what you'd expect, really, if somebody said you're going to be drinking green tea. Um, But I like that sort of fragrant jasmine. Beautiful. So number three, I'm going to go for mint and chamomile. I like mint tea very much, but I found that mint and chamomile together create just the most wonderful kind of calming, soothing, but, you know, mint has that little upliftingness to it, little zing. It's lovely. Mm. No milk. Obviously. I mean, that I would draw the line of putting milk in stuff. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. (laughs) So number two is a particular brand, um, which I discovered very recently when my sister gave me a box of this tea for Christmas. It is a yogi tea and the flavour is chocolate and chilli. And this sounds pretty controversial, right? It sounds amazing. It was. It's so good. We finished it in about two days, a whole box of it. It's sort of, you think, how can tea be chocolatey? I mean, it has the word tea in the word, you know, chocolate tea. But you don't, you don't really think about that beforehand. Um, it was wonderful. I didn't put milk in it, I'll be honest. Um, it was just delightful. So this brings us to the number one, Sophie. I'm very excited. I too have gone for a black tea mm-hmm. in a teapot. But I'm going to go for Assam. Interesting. Maybe not a particular brand. If I really had to choose a brand, I don't know that Twining's Everyday Tea is Assam tea, but that's one of my favourites. Um, but a good Assam tea in a teapot, bit of milk, beautiful. See, you've chosen a lot of um, 
Now, I don't use this phrase. You actually coined this, like, this phrase yourself, which is hippie tea. Yes. Well, in my in the days before I appreciated herbal tea, I called it hippie tea. You see, I was brought up. Um, my dad doesn't drink caffeine um, and hasn't my whole life. And he used to always drink herbal teas. And I liked to call them hippie teas. Um, and the only use I could see for them when I was a child was trying to make perfume with the fruit ones. OK, so those are the teas we like. I'm sure controversial topic to consider i mean i've you know i wasn't sure about some of the ones on lydia's list and you know lydia has a problem with me adding milk to everything so you know there's a lot we've opened the debate yeah yeah and you know if if there's a particular tea that you feel we haven't considered fully maybe we haven't tried it you know please let just let us know because we're just two humans you know we may not have heard of the tea we want to do some tea tasting maybe that's a good yeah a new segment we'll try yeah yeah, we'll drink some tea whilst uh, discussing other topics and we can report back. Definitely. So to end this podcast of wonderment and entertainment, let's, let's end with a joke. With a joke! I have a extremely specific knitting joke. This is the right place for it. So this is the right way, uh, yeah. So we all know the designer, Jared Flood. Mm-hmm. So what does Jared do when it floods? <gasps> I don't know. What does he do? He shelters in a loft. Oh, Sophie. That was brilliant. Hope we had you in stitches. Thank you for listening to Pomcast One. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear any feedback or contributions. Please send them to podcast at pompommag.com. You can visit us online at www.pompommag.com forward slash podcast. And you can buy pompom from the same website. Just click on the shop button. Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. Check out his band at goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Huge thanks to Megan Fernandez, the wonderful co-creator and co-editor of Pom Pom Magazine, Juju Vale, photographer and interviewee extraordinaire, and all you lovely Pom Pom buyers, subscribers, admirers, and now listeners. Bye! I forgot to say bye. Let's say bye together. Bye! bye.